Well, hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the 343 Podcast, where we work tirelessly to elevate the level of discourse and practitionership here in American soccer. Today, I'm joined once again by Joey Cassio, longtime friend and exceptional coach of well over a decade at this point. We talk about a number of things, one of which is a very important concept that I don't think is spoken about at all in the landscape, and that is the fact that there are no quote-unquote, clubs at the MLS level. And more importantly, because I know many of you are in the youth ranks, there are actually no, quote-unquote, clubs at the youth level either. A little bit different than what you might think, but we compare it to what it's like overseas. And when I mean it by overseas, I just don't mean Europe. I mean everywhere overseas. There's over 190 countries globally, and they all do soccer a certain way. And there are such things as clubs elsewhere. And they're completely distinct and different from here. One of which, of course, you all know of is this whole pay-to-play model. Well, have you ever thought about why things are pay-to-play here in the United States versus what it's like overseas? It's rooted in the fact that there are no clubs here, really. So we get into that. We get into, of course, why is there no promotion relegation at the youth level either? Hugely important. Totally impacts you especially if you're a parent of a kid here in American soccer, how are you to discern and distinguish the level of coaching that you are receiving? How do you know who's who and what's what here when there's no merit-based sort of ecosystem in play? So we touch on that. We touch on the media as well, because I know, listen, you want, you need to consume some soccer stuff, right? You need to consume some writing. You need to consume some podcasting, some videos. But here we have an issue with the media. We talk about that and we talk about the critically important U.S. Open Cup. You may have heard that MLS is trying to get out of this competition. The longest running competition in the United States has over a 100 year history. It is our soccer heritage and MLS is trying to destroy that competition. Well, guess what? Because they don't own it and they want to own everything. So we dive a little bit deep into that one. I I go on kind of a historic rant on that one. You don't want to miss it. And again, if you are a parent of a kid here in American soccer, it directly impacts you. You may think, oh, that's something that's happening way over there, or that's happening way at the professional level. I have a 12-year-old kid over here that, you know, we have our own issues. It has nothing to do with the U.S. Open Cup or what MLS is doing. Guys, that is not correct it does impact you. And we start to carve out the outlines of what that looks like and how it impacts you. And lastly, there's this notion of being a hero. Joey and I had met for a couple of drinks and it's a topic that came up. You know, everybody thinks that they'd like to be the hero in the movie. And then when they're put in a tough spot, do they make the hero-like decision or do they make the unhero-like decision? So it's quite interesting. That, and that's more towards the end of the episode. You don't want to miss it. Um, it's 2024 now. Happy New Year, everyone. We have a lot planned. We're going to work our asses off to help coaches even more than we have in the past. We're going to work our asses off to help parents of American soccer players even more than we have in the past. And I'd be remiss not to mention the two products that are already in existence by 343, and that is at 343coaching.com. If you are a coach, we've got free and premium programs for you there. 
And if you're a parent, we have 343masterclass.com. It helps guide you to best guide your kids, whether it be from a training perspective or whether it be from a philosophy methodology. How do you speak to your kids? How do you guide them well? How do you know whether what the advice that you're providing them is good advice or mediocre advice or, frankly speaking, pretty bad advice? You don't want that last one. Okay, so we're going to try to help guide you, guide your kids. All right, here we go. All right, dude. Okay, I got it off my chest. <laughs> Thank you for being no, but, a therapist. It's unbelievable. But this, be, I, this kind of thing, Gary, like it's, it's, another, it's another effect of the bigger picture of everything that goes on in the American marketplace, the American soccer system, and the fact that you know, we don't have clubs here in America is a big piece of all of it. We do not have clubs and yeah. it, it, it's too bad. You know, in MLS, we see it all the time. They don't have to really compete for players in the marketplace. Uh, they don't have to compete against each other. And it, the effects that it has on, on everything, and it trickles all the way down to the youth game. And then we also see it in the youth game. Everybody thinks, oh, these youth clubs, they're not really clubs. They're not really clubs. There's no, yeah. there's no sense or real bond or strong sense of community within these clubs where the customer of the club, you know, the, the, the parents that pay the fees, they don't, you know, because every club has its struggles, has, has its challenges that they have to work through on a daily basis. And the people that pay their way into your club, a lot of them are not down for that fight that the club has to, has to fight every single day. Like, oh, hey, we're not getting this or, or this club is doing this to us or this league is doing this to us. Hey, fuck it, let's go. We're all in it together, let's go fight this war. It's not like that. Instead, they're like, mm, well, hey, you guys, you guys don't have this or you're not getting this? All right, then we'll just go over here, we'll go somewhere else. That's not a club, that's not yeah. a club. It's just somebody paying for services temporarily. That's a great point. I never thought of that angle, Joey. We need to make that known to everybody that if it were indeed a club club, like it is around the world, that there is that sense of community and that sense of ownership from everybody who is within the organization, the players, the parents, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah, they would band together this because this is what everywhere else outside the United States would do. They would all band together and as one whole, Maybe it's 500 families, 300 families, 1,000 families together would lobby and petition and apply political pressure to the institutions here in the United States, whether it be a league like MLS Next or ECNL or whatever the case may be, apply political public pressure. Hey, man, what the F? We should be competing in your league. Why are you not allowing us in the league? And put everybody on blast. That's what a real club would do. And guess what? That has a lot of power. That would absolutely bend the will that these existing leagues and structures have. And they'd probably have to ultimately bend the knee, Joey, and do something to conform to the will of the people. Yeah. Depending on the, the size or the voice of the club. Absolutely. And it, it's interesting, Gary, I, I've noticed, I've been thinking of a lot about this recently, I, I've noticed the effects of that on the player development piece, you know, the, the, the reality that 
in the youth game, it's very easy for people, mm, you know what, we're not getting what we want here from you guys as a youth club. So we're just going to go over here. I've noticed the effects on the players when it comes to this, mm -hmm. because mm -hmm. soccer is a very team oriented sport. And a big part of the development process is you have to learn how to integrate within a team. And if you have that sense of community, that bond, that you belong to something bigger than just yourself, and a player grows up in that environment, they develop an understanding for the team or those around them, that understanding that, hey, it's not just about me. Yes, I have to look after myself as the individual, but if we're, if I'm going to be successful in any team that I operate in, it, it's about the collectives and developing that component in the player is a big piece of all of this. And it's missing here in the American player in general is they don't value that, that part of it. You know, it's just very much about them. And don't get me wrong. Players have to look out for themselves. Absolutely. They have to take care of themselves. They have to take care of their family 100%. But I look to, you know, I watch a lot of press conferences. I, I watch a lot of interviews and the way that players at the highest level, the way that they conduct themselves, the way that they talk about the team, you know, even though they are looking after themselves, it seems to me that they highly value the team or even the club that they are employed by or playing in. They value that and they understand that it's much bigger than just themselves. And so I've yeah. seen, yeah, lately, lately I've seen the effects of, you know, the lack of community club you know, that bond here in the American marketplace, I'm seeing that effect on the young youth player here in America, or at least in Southern California where I work. Yeah. There, well, there's no loyalty. Yeah. There's no loyalty from the player to the club. And in many respects, understandably slow, because in general, I would say that there's no loyalty from the club to the player. And I would say that it's because there really is no club. It is merely a transaction a transactional relationship. And this is something that we beat the drum before, but it's worth repeating because it's that important and people won't get it unless it's repeated over and over and over again. Soccer here in the States is a transactional relationship. It's customer and the business that is supplying a service. And since it's that kind of a transactional relationship, that's why there's no loyalty. Now, let us go to ask the question, why is it a transactional relationship in the first place? Well, it's a transactional relationship because there is nothing that the club is really working towards. There's nothing you can build towards. And in the rest of the world, almost every club or a vast majority of the clubs, most all of the structures, and it's not just Europe, it's South America, it's Central America, it's Africa, because here in the States, everybody says, oh, we can't be like England. Who's talking about England? England's just one country out of 190, okay? Oh, it, we can't just be like Europe, Gary. Who's talking about Europe? There's also Asia. There's also South America. There's also, we're talking the whole world operates this way. And so in the rest of the world, all of these, there is no, there's really not a youth club necessarily per se. So many of the clubs have a youth structure that leads into an adult team. And that adult team plays at some level within the open pyramid that exists at the adult level, you know, whether it be from the top tier division one, all the way through however many professional divisions a country may have, and then into the amateur, but adult divisions as well. You know, and some countries have a graduation where you could be playing the adult amateur 
ranks, but be at the top of that. And if you win that, you actually graduate to the professional level. Maybe it's the fourth division pro or the third division pro or whatever it is, but there's a unified pyramid. And so all these youth families and youth players, whatever club that they're at, that, that has aspirations and their incentives are aligned with helping you, the youth player and the family to progress up to the first team, up to the adult team or whatever the case may be. What is, there's nothing like that here, Joey, because the, the system is closed. And so that is why there are youth only clubs here. And how is a youth only club going to stay in business? They have to charge for their services overseas, yeah. a youth club doesn't necessarily, I mean, a lot of youth clubs overseas do charge, but they don't charge what they charge here. Why? Because overseas, the business model is different. Overseas, the emphasis is principally on the first team or the community, or maybe the city, you know, helps operate uh, from a monetary perspective and an infrastructure perspective with the club. And so there, there's that tie as well. But here in the States, how can a youth, how can a club stay in business? You have to charge, Joe, you have to charge. And the moment that you start charging, you are now broken that club sort of bond and it is a customer business relationship. And so there's no loyalty one way or the other. Yeah. Yeah. And there's a lot of effects to that, man. And I so think, tell me, uh, yeah. what, well, I think, um, I mean, yeah, there's no loyalty. Uh, that's a big part of it. And, and there, there's so much, there's so much, um, where I work, we have an adult team, but it's not taken seriously whatsoever. I don't, I don't even know if most of the club even knows that the team exists because it's, they, they all know, like there's no, they, they can't make their way up the ladder. So it's like, eh, what, what's the point of going and supporting that? And, and there the people running that team, they try their very best to build up interest you know, or get, get the families in the club to support it. But, but like you said, like that's, that's not what those families are there for. They pay a fee. So they just want, you know, the services that come along with that. And that's pretty much, that's pretty much it. You know, anything beyond that, there's not a lot of interest to it, but I mean, yeah, we, I mean, I don't even know, man, there's so many different ways we could go with that, that part of the discussion, you know, the effects that okay, it has so on the... Well, you, well, you nailed it with the adult side of the equation. Okay. So your, t your club happens to have an adult team. Let's call mm -hmm. it for the sake of consistency. Let's call it a fir the first team. Okay. Well, that first team probably plays in some regional adult league of some sort. And first off, probably nobody even knows the name of that league. You'd have to really zoom into only the teams and the people associated with those teams that play in that league know what that league name is in the first place. And, and it comes from it not being connected because yeah. if it were somehow, let's say if it was the fifth tier, fifth division, if you could win that fifth division and work your way up to maybe playing USL at some point, USL championship, the second division, that facilitates all kinds of things. It facilitates, it opens the doors to investment from people outside of the club itself, it opens up investment to families who might be very affluent and well-to-do with kids in the club for them to invest. Because I'm sure within the club itself, I don't know how many teams you guys have. I've worked with many youth clubs and there's always a good number of multimillionaire families within that club and people who have very, uh, are in very strong financial conditions. Let's say that business owners, 
so on and so forth. And with a kid in the club, look, they have, I've seen massive donations just because their kid is in the club to the team or to the club to do these extravagant trips overseas that could cost a hundred K a pop or something to try have a whole team or whatever travel overseas. If the first team was in an open pyramid, you have, you can tap that group as well. And you can bet that they would be willing to invest in the club for obviously some return as well, which is maybe some equity stake in the operation of the business. So all of that opens up at that point, but with it closed, none of that exists. And so the families aren't tied to it. And so the kids aren't tied to it. And so without that loyalty, all of a sudden, Joey, and you can talk more than I can because you've been coaching actively on a day-to-day -day basis, everybody's always on the lookout as to greener pastures elsewhere. What other team or club can I hop to that I think might be better? And the moment that they don't like maybe one thing that's happening to their kid, just one thing in one weekend that happened to their kid, maybe not, not enough playing time, maybe the team lost really badly, maybe uh, they didn't get out of the group or underperformed, anything at all. Maybe they don't like a certain parent because there's a lot of gossiping on the side, there's a lot of uh, chaos or God knows what, and that triggers them to maybe explore the other option that, that's been in the back of their heads the whole time. And that causes you know, the coach, obviously, not to be able to focus on the craft that is developing the players and the team. And so the, the coach, after a while, gets jaded by this whole process because the, their eyes start opening up. And what do they do, Joey? Everybody then, or not everybody, but the vast majority resorts back to, ah, you know what? It's just a job. I'm just going to come here, lay out some cones, cash a paycheck. It's not a big paycheck, mind you, but cash a paycheck and spend some time with my family instead of dedicating myself as to what's better for Johnny or Susie. It's a cascading effect. Yeah, yeah. Back, going back to the adult team, when it's known that the team can promote to another level, everybody in the club takes an interest to that because it elevates everybody. The mm. youth players, the first team goes up a level, that elevates everybody because now you're, you're trying to make your way as a youth player through to the first team. And now, oh, now the first team's playing at that next division. And then mm -hmm. everybody's, you know, and taking a keen interest in, okay, now can we make it up to another level? And again, once again, it elevates everybody within the club. We don't have that, you know, that, that not existing leads to, yeah, no one really cares about that first team. Our first team or adult team plays in UPSL, but like, that's it. That's as far as they're going to yeah. go. I think people understand that, you know, those that kind of know what it is. Probably there's many that don't even have any, any clue that there's an adult team or what league they compete in or how it works or anything like that. But the family, the players know that what happens with that adult team doesn't really affect them whatsoever. Right. So why, why right. should they care? Right. But yeah, you're right. I, I think that there is always that, that sense of, well, you know, what's, what's going on over here or what's going on over there? That's always in the back of people's minds. But again, without that sense of community and club, it makes it easy, you know, for that sort of thing to happen. And, you know, I get it. I have kids. People are emotional about what's going on with their kids. And, you know, a lot of people are talking, a lot of things are being said, this and that, this and that. And the majority of people say one thing, and then there's a few that say something different. Well, if you don't really know 
who are you probably going to listen to? The, the majority of people who are saying this, that, and the other over those who maybe say something different. And you can't, you know, if you get caught up in your emotions and you hear that and you let it kind of affect your decision-making, it, it, could, it could become a problem. But again, it all stems from the root problem, Gary, that we started off with, that there's, yeah. no, there's no promotion relegation in this country. It all comes from that, yeah. all of the, the yeah. things that we're talking about. All of it, all of it. And some, and this is an important point which we haven't discussed ever. And it's my fault. I need to do a much better job publicly also. Many folks will say, oh my God, again, we're talking about promotion and relegation. Okay, I get it, guys, but it's never going to happen. The, the investors of MLS put in a lot of money, you know, they were blah, blah, that whole storyline. I'm not going to regurgitate it here. What I think needs to be better communicated to the public who, both who have that view and even advocates of an open ecosystem also do not appreciate is that it's not about the money. The reason that we have that closed system is not about the money. It's about power and control. And, and I'll give you, I'll give you, there's a lot of evidence of this, but I'll give you one thing to consider since we're talking youth here. Why is there no promotion relegation at the youth level? There isn't billions of dollars that one investor or a handful of investors made into a club at the youth level, whereby they want to protect their investment and not get relegated. Okay. There, there isn't that money, that sunk cost at the youth level. Nobody's going to get rich. Nobody's going to get, make hundreds of millions of dollars or billions of dollars operating at the youth level. We're talking about peanuts at that level. So why did MLS or U.S. soccer, when they formed the academy, why did they not institute promotion and relegation at the youth level? Because even if, if they did that, Joey, let's say when the, academy, the U.S. Development Academy launched in 2007, and then they gave it up to MLS because they're MLS's bitch, basically. When they instituted the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, if they had just made it an open system, with promotion and relegation, then many of the things that you are describing and all the youth coaches across the country that don't have the benefit of, or the luck of being at an MLS youth academy have, they wouldn't have the, the issues that you guys are having, right? Because all of a sudden you guys can earn your way to whatever tier it is that you have the capability to earn your way to. But we have a closed system at the youth level as well. And now when MLS took over, the U.S. Soccer Development Academy, it made it theirs, that i.e. MLS Next, closed system again. So you, now you have a, you, again, you have a gatekeeper that arbitrarily gets to decide what club, not even what team, right? It's like what clubs uh, get to participate in this league and who and what don't. Same with ECNL, same with all the other leagues. There is a gatekeeper that says you're in or you're out. So they're picking winners and losers in the marketplace. And if you happen to be one of the lucky few who is in, well, at least you're, you're over that hurdle. I mean, the problems don't end there because now if you're in ECNL, maybe you want to go to MLS Next and then you have a gatekeeper there. And if you're in MLS Next and you're not in MLS Academy, then shit happens there as well. But if they had a unified youth open soccer pyramid with promotion relegation, Joey, I think a lot of these issues like I said, that you and your colleagues across the country are experiencing, a lot of them kind of go away or are a lot smaller. The issues are smaller. I know you compete with surf, right? Which is yeah. a huge, outrageously large 
club, powerful club, and they have league status and brand status and all that stuff. Well, what if you are much, much better than your counterparts over there at Surf or your teams are better than Surf? Shouldn't there be a way for you to demonstrate this? And shouldn't your players be able to remain at their club, remain at their team, remain with a coach that they love, work their way up the ladder and showcase themselves? I don't know, maybe you can say a couple of comments on youth promotion relegation, if that would help, if it wouldn't help. And, and, and how, how, since we don't have it there, you know, obviously some of the issues that you're facing. I think, I think if it were in existence at the youth level, I think we would have a little bit more of that, that loyalty to the club because the family, the customer knows that, oh yeah, we, it's possible. So, Hey, all right. Hey. Let's do it. That underdog story where maybe you come from, maybe you're not quite at the top, but you know it's possible. So it's like, all right, hey, no, we're going to stick it here. Let's build something. Let's keep going. Let's work our way up because we can do it. Possible. I think that creates a little bit, at least a little bit more loyalty to the youth club that you operate in. Yeah, man. I mean, we are current. I, I'm experiencing right this moment. We do not have that league status. We're fighting for that league status. And it's not, it's not about how well we do on the field. I mean, maybe a small part. There's a lot more to it than that. You know, the, the regional politics and power plays and stuff like that, that. That's just the reality of it, unfortunately. And, you know, the families know it. So in our case, currently it's like, as a club, we're under pressure to get league status. And yeah, if we don't, we, we've been told by the parents, like, yeah, if you guys don't get it this, this next season, we're out. We're leaving. Yeah. And that's yeah. just, and the that's just how it goes. The, the customer loses, Joey. The customer is the one yeah. that loses. Because, because also imagine if competition is good for the customer, because then you truly get to see who's who and what's what. If we're talking strictly coaches, it's almost impossible for a customer, i.e. a parent, to know which coach is better than which in the ecosystem. Yeah. Because the coaches, I, and they're through their teams, they're not competing against each other to see who's better than whom. When you have this segregation of leagues, yes, some might say, well, within a league, they are competing with one another. To an extent, yes, but how do you know whether the coaches within that league, first and foremost, are the best coaches to begin with because they're not exposed to the outside world. They're insulated from competition in many respects. Also, let's say you're at a big club like Surf, and nothing against Surf. I know they have to operate this way, just like all the youth clubs, because, there's no, again, there's no promotion relegation at the professional level. This is the only way they can survive. This is their business model. I get it. Yeah. But in a powerful club like that, if you're a youth coach there, it's totally possible, it, totally doable, even likely that you can have a coach that is really bad, like, like the really bad, mediocre or really bad. And just for the fact that they have the surf logo and regional monopoly, essentially, they're going to attract much of the best talent in the San Diego area. By default, they don't have to do anything. Okay. The play, the talent yeah. comes to them. And now once that mediocre or even less than mediocre, potentially coach has the best talent in all likelihood, and especially at the youth level, the talent's going to win their games. And, and 
be at the top of the standings or close to the top of the standings year over year. And the parents have no way of deciphering or discerning whether that is due to the coach or that is due to the talent. They don't know. It's hard for them to know. And so there's this whole cascade effect that occurs. What's more, some of those coaches, since if they're bad coaches, they might love this whole notion of let the kids play because at that point, they don't even have to get better as a coach or do any work at all. They can just sit back, especially during game time, sit back in the lawn chair, barely say a word at all. Your team wins and everybody in the sideline thinks that, see, that's a good coach. He doesn't talk to the kids. He doesn't instruct the kids while the game is going on. He lets them have fun. Everybody's laughing. The team is winning. That's a good coach. And in many cases, I know for a fact, Joe, I'm not speaking in theory here. I, I, yeah. I've been in the game forever. Fucking shocking coach. They're terrible. Absolutely terrible. <laughs> but, they, but they will help perpetuate this lie that you should just, quote unquote, let the kids play. And everybody buys this hook, line, and sinker. And here yeah. are our great coaches potentially working their balls off, trying to do good work, in many cases doing good work. And then their best talent might leave them because they don't have league status or they don't have the, the logo that is surf soccer club or an MLS academy or anything uh, of the sort. And so that particular coach and that particular club itself as a whole is forever stuck as a underclassman, as a lower class citizen in the soccer ecosystem. So yeah. you, we've built, we built these little monopolies and we dotted them all across the country at the youth level. And since, the, again, there's not an open market and there's no promotion relegation, there's no telling whether the cream is truly rising to the top or not in terms of club leadership in the, at the executive level, who's running the club, um, whether they be directors of coaches, presidents, senior coaches, mid-level coaches, lower-level coaches. Doesn't, you have no idea. Of no, you, you don't know, Joey. Yeah. yeah. You don't know. Yeah. So here's what we think this, ourselves here. Man. Yeah, I think I think this is what you explained is the reason why we see no true playing identity. When you go out to the fields on a weekend to all these youth tournaments or games or whatever, you don't see any playing identity whatsoever. It's just random chaos happening because the way that things are structured, like you said, the coaches they know that if they are privileged enough to be competing in one of these top leagues. Best players are just going to make their way naturally to them. They've got the best players. All right, I'm going to sit back, let them do what they need to do. Let them do, you know, what they're good at. All is good. You know, we might win some, we might lose some. This age group, we finish, you know, top two, maybe another age group in the middle of the pack, but no playing identity whatsoever. I think that that might be one signal of those that with all of this going on, the coaches that or at least attempting to do good work when the, when the team shows some sort of playing identity on both sides of the ball, it's at least a signal that the coach is trying to do something outside of the normal that we see within the youth soccer market here. But, but it's true, Gary. It's true, unfortunately. Here's another objection I can hear already in, in my ears. <laughs> oh, well, 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 what you've, no, because Joey, people just don't get it, man. They, they, 
most of them don't even work in the space and they're making opinions about what's actually going on and what's good for the space and what's not good for the space. And you don't even work in the space. What, what, what are we even talking about here? But here's one possible thought that might be out there. Oh, well, you, what you just described, Gary and Joey, um, is actually good because it shows the system is working, that the talent is being funneled and being more concentrated into one particular league or one particular club. And so that makes scouting better and that makes, um, you know, the cream rises to the top in that sense. The, the subtle thing that you're probably missing, which I, I try to not make it subtle at all, is that even if you are funneling the better talent at a particular age, maybe you're leaving kids behind, right? And this is falling through the cracks sort of thing, right? Because if, let's say you have an amazing team, Joey, great players, you're doing great work your top two players leave, they go to a bigger club or a bigger league or whatever, the rest of your team suffers because of that, because all of a sudden it drops the level of training, it drops the level of competition. It, it just, it hurts the, the development of the rest of your players, first and foremost. And the rest of your players could, if they continued on the proper path of development, could one day catch up or even exceed those other guys. And they would be the, the ultimate talent, the ultimate winners. So you're, you're missing that development component. But the more important piece, I'll repeat, you might be funneling the talent to one particular league or one particular club, but the development that you're getting there sucks ass. So you might get the talent, yeah. but they're under the mentorship of someone or a staff or a club that sucks ass. So what kind of development are you actually getting there? You're, act it's act you're actually getting worse. So imagine you're funneling all the best talent to the worst hands. Yeah. <laughs> How does that make sense? And that's where the conversation about leagues can be detrimental because what you're talking about, there's still the development component that is necessary. That doesn't happen necessarily in the league. It happens every day on the training ground, in the training sessions, in the exercises, in each and every rep in the training session. That's where a lot of the development happens. And then not only that, when you have all of the players funneling to one club, what does that do to the competition in the region? So mm. when that, that one club has to go play all these other clubs, what do those games look like now? Whereas everything yeah. were, were a little more, you know, community-based where, hey, uh, this region of players or this neighborhood of players, all the players that came out of there, they're at this club or a little bit. You know, 30 miles away, you got that player pool up there, you know, they're developing them every day, making them the best that they can. And then at the weekend, you know, two, three, four times a year, you guys are going to play each other. Those games are probably more intense. They're better. The quality is a little bit better. Where now, you know, you see a lot of players just because of the league status, you know, or the brand of the club, players will just move just because of that. They'll go and yeah, they suffer developmentally. Or they go and they play these other clubs where that, that club has sucked the, the player pool from all these other clubs dry. Now they have to go play those teams at the weekend and they're just crushing them. We see that a lot with the MLS academies. They take all of their players from the local clubs in the region and leave mm -hmm. those local clubs, you know, thin. So then when those MLS academies have to go play those local clubs in MLS Next, for example, the competition is not very good. Yeah. I don't know. It's a, it's an insidious thing that's going on here. And the only way we change it, because I know we're being very negative here, 
the reality is, I think, Joey, that we are optimists, even though we're painting a picture like this. And I think we're optimists because if we were not optimists, we would not even waste our time. We wouldn't even waste our time trying to do good work. We wouldn't even waste our time trying to educate whoever it is that wants to learn some things or gain some insight into what it is that we think. We wouldn't waste our time with the game, Joey, if we were pessimists yeah. or cynical. You would just say, oh, fuck it. it doesn't, it's never going to change. It doesn't matter anyway. So fuck it. No, we're optimists. I have two soccer businesses. I am an optimist. Only optimists start businesses, not pessimists. Only optimists work their balls off for their players to try to make their teams the best they can possibly be. So even though we're talking, everything seems negative, Joey, I think the most important thing to communicate here is that for things to change, we all have to identify the problem first. If we don't identify the actual problem, then yeah, things can't change. So th that is our job is to yeah. spread the word as much as possible, open as many people's eyes who are open-minded and willing to, yeah, gain some insight one person at a time, let them see what's actually happening and let them spread the word. Then we can start talking about people always say, oh, you only talk about the problems, not the solutions. I just, I just told you the solution. The solution is education. First off, identify the problem. Number two, once you have identified the problem and, and understand it, spread the word to others. Then at some point, there's going to be a critical inflection where things start shifting. There are realities that we face, Gary, but I think, yeah. and we talked about this, I think, I think people are starting to see some of the problems or some of the realities that we all face operating in this game, in this country, we still have a long way to go, but I agree with you, man. There's not a lot of people who discuss these things in the marketplace. There's just not. And so it's good that this sort of thing is brought to people's attention, or at least is discussed, you know, in a public forum so that people are getting a little bit of a different view. And this kind of goes to the media in this country. And I know you, you've been on this now recently, very much so that the media, the soccer media in this country, does a, most of them do a huge injustice to the game here. And they play a big role too. And they, you know, they are the majority of the voice here. And I guess maybe us, we're, we're more so the minority, but it's important that people hear this sort of thing and not just what the majority are talking about all the time. Yeah. And the, and the only reason that you can say that they're a majority, I mean, they're actually a minority, but they have been given the microphone. They yeah. have been given the microphone by the monopoly. That's all. And the only reason that they've been given the microphone by the monopoly is because they know that that quote unquote journalist or that media personality or that media personality or that influencer or that this one, all, all these, they've identified which one will spread the monopoly's narrative the monopolies propaganda. And so they're like, okay, cool. We'll give you the mic. We'll either hire you or we'll give you press passes or we'll give you access of some sort, or we'll acknowledge your existence by retweeting you or whatever the case may be. There's all these modes of amplifying specific voices and they have the distribution, unfortunately, or the major distribution, unfortunately, at this point, you know, so that is why it seems like they have a majority, but 
I don't know, Joey, I think I agree with you that more and more people are realizing that they're being told a story that's mm, questionable. Uh, it doesn't really add up. And we just have to keep going, dude. Yeah. Gary, we, we, we got to touch on the U.S. Open Cup stuff before we go. Oh, yeah, yeah. Fuck. Let me plug in my computer, dude. 100%. I, okay, okay, hold on. <laughs> Joey, I don't, I don't know if you saw that. That triggered me yeah. online. That made yeah. me pretty bad. I could tell, man. I could tell. That, that was a major event in American soccer. 100%. Yeah. So maybe you can rehash it for folks out there. Cause I know a great proportion of our audience are soccer parents and they are disconnected from the professional game. They just are, they might know who Pulisic is or McKinney and maybe catch a pro game overseas once in a while with their, with their kids, sons or daughters or whatever, but they are disconnected from what is transpiring at the professional level here in the United States. Yeah. So the U S open cup is the one true open market competition within our country where, where any, you know, pro amateur team can compete. They can compete and make their way through the tournament. And so you could have, you could have our adult team who they co they compete in the competition, our rebels mm -hmm. soccer club, adult team, they could make their way and they could play against an MLS team if they advance far enough. So MLS came out. And they basically tried to tell U.S. soccer that they were going to take their first teams out of the competition. And they asked to then put their, their youth pro teams, their MLS Next pro teams in the competition to represent MLS as, as the league. And U.S. soccer came out publicly with a statement and they said that they, they denied that request that the MLS next pro teams represent MLS in the competition. However, U.S. soccer did not deny MLS being able to pull their first teams out of the competition. So as far as we know, MLS has pulled their, their first teams out of the competition and U.S. soccer hasn't done anything about that part of it. They've only told MLS that no, your MLS next pro teams cannot compete in the U.S. Open Cup. And I yeah. believe, how old what is the competition? It? It's over 100 years old. Yeah, Gary, the competition? Yeah, the U.S. Open Cup is the oldest running competition in the United States. It's over 100 years old. It's one of the oldest ones in the world. So first and foremost, for people who like to say, oh, we don't have a soccer history in this country or you know, soccer never existed or we don't have heritage or whatever the case may be, nonsense. We've had a long history that originates way before MLS ever did. Yes, we've had a number of professional leagues that got shut down or went out of business prior to MLS. And that's a whole other rabbit hole that we can go down. Uh, we won't do that today, but it is a consequence again of being a closed system. Um, but yeah, the US Open Cup has been ongoing nonstop year after year for over a hundred years. I think it paused once during COVID. Uh, but other than that, it's the longest running competition. As you said, it's called open by the way, because it is open for everybody to compete in. And in recent history, maybe, and by recent, I mean, I don't know, 12 years ago, uh, don't date me on this, but Eric Winaldo, which was a former U S men's national team player, very well known across the country 
one of the best to play the game for the national team. He post his career, wanted to be a coach. A lot of, well, I'll just frankly say it, MLS basically has never allowed him to kind of be involved at the MLS level in the coaching ranks or otherwise. And look, I'm on the outside looking in, only he knows the the total truth and people very close to him, I imagine. But he's a very outspoken person with respect to the system in this country and many of the things that you and I just finished saying for the past 40 minutes. And as a consequence of that, it looks like they don't want him anywhere near an MLS team. And so what he did is he formed an amateur team here in Southern California, Orange County specifically, uh, of players comprised of 18, 19, 20-year-olds. And they were very good players, Joey. I've, I knew all of them uh, because of Brian and Brian's work. You know, many, some of the players were on his team and many of the other players were on teams that he would compete against throughout the ages. And then they finished their youth careers. Many of them went off to college, uh, some of them to some semi-pro teams or gave it a go. Uh, and it didn't pan out for them, you know, at, at the pro level because they weren't selected for one reason or another. He assembled this team of amateurs and entered the Open Cup. And I don't remember where he got eliminated, but on, on his path, he encountered an MLS team, the Portland Timbers played the Portland Timbers away at the Portland Timbers home and beat the Portland Timbers. So here's a ragtag team of 19, 20, 21 year old part-time soccer players who had day jobs, Joey, basically, and would, then would go yeah. and train after their day jobs. And he beat an MLS team. And he also, I think, was very competitive with a USL club or back in the day, maybe it was called NASL club. That was the Atlanta Silverbacks. And again, my facts are a little fuzzy here at the moment, but again, it shows you that with an open competition, you can both showcase players that may not be at the top tier and give them opportunities potentially at the top tier. Coaches get to showcase themselves as well as what they're capable of in, in terms of identifying talent, recruiting said talent, training said talent, competing with said talent. And then one level up from that is the organization itself, the club itself, what it is that they can do at the club level from a business perspective, from an operations perspective, from you name it. So you truly have a cream rising to the top. Everybody seeks their own level at that point. And we truly know who's who and what's what, like the rest of the world gets to do. So this competition, and there's many such cases like Eric Winalda's, also USL clubs, which are the quote unquote second division in our country, they beat MLS clubs left and right in this competition over the past handful of years as well. And as a consequence of that, that is exposing MLS for not being the level that they try to portray themselves as being at. MLS doesn't like that. And so they've been trying to diminish, attenuate, um, and not let the Open Cup grow in exposure, grow in ec economics, grow in any respect at all. So they've been trying to sabotage this competition for a very, very long time, which is run and operated and owned by U.S. Soccer, our federation. But MLS had all the marketing rights to the U.S. Soccer properties. And as such, MLS was the one ultimately responsible for 
through some, right? Soccer United Marketing, people can do their homework on that. MLS had, well, they were the ones responsible for marketing the Open Cup and they never really did. They didn't seek yeah. out network television or big platforms to actually showcase the cup. They didn't go on marketing campaigns to elevate the prestige and profile of the cup. They didn't, they did none of that. And the fan base had been talking shit about this. I mean, let's call it what it is, this corrupt relationship between the Federation and MLS. The, the fan base had wisened up to that a number of years ago, five, six, seven years ago, when the most outspoken of us kind of started bringing it to light hard. And it's eventually U.S. soccer ended their marketing relationship with MLS. I think this was a year ago. And lo and behold, this year, MLS says, you know what? We're not even going to compete in this Open Cup. So they're trying to destroy everything and anything, including individual people, a story for other day, are not part of their gang. Because at this point, it's like a gang, Joey. It's a, it's a mafia. It's a, it's a monopoly. Yep. Yep. Soccer be damned. For those of you who understand what the Open Cup kind of is and its analog across the world, every single place across the world, let's not talk England, let's not just talk Europe, every continent, every country has their equivalent of the, the Open Cup. They have their league competition and then they have their Open Cup competition where all the divisional clubs get in there and they, it's a battle royale. They fight it out. And ultimately to see who is the champion of that cup. Yes, most of the time, the top division, a top, a top club wins it. But many times that is not true. And many times as a consequence of that cup, coaches are identified, new pl unknown players are identified, great clubs are identified. This is what true competition is about. MLS wants no part of it. They want to destroy it. Briefly, I know you've been talking a lot, Joey. Let me fast forward to what transpired this past week. MLS yeah. said, we're pulling out. MLS said, we're pulling out. Basically announcing it. We're out. Okay. No requests. No nothing. We're out. They said, we're out. And the vocal fan base basically was outraged uh, because they know what the implications of that are. They fought back. They were very vocal. Uh, some of the media personalities who try to ride a balance between the monopoly and the non-monopoly people to try to look independent, which is horseshit. Okay. But they're trying to ride that thing. They also kind of came out in some softish way saying, Hey, this, this isn't quite right. You know, MLS should compete in it. Not calling MLS out for the tyrants that they are, that they want to destroy everything. That's not them. They didn't go hard at them, but you know, they said, they said a little something. They threw in their two cents. And I think, uh, who's Hercules Gomez co-host on their show on ESPN? Sebastian Shoot. Salazar. Yeah. Sebastian Salazar went on a great rant, uh, on their ESPN hosted show about what I just went on a rant about essentially in a very compact way. For years and years, her, the U S soccer federation did major league soccer's bidding often at the expense of everybody else in American soccer. And the proof of that is the dozens of leagues, men and women, the hundreds of clubs, men and women, including Rio Grande Valley, who today is out of business, that have gone out of business since MLS came into business in 1996. And 
For all that time, U.S. soccer sat by and did nothing. And the why behind that is very obvious, Herkin. You know it well. It's because through a marketing contract that not a lot of people know about, not a lot of people talked about, U.S. soccer was getting its bills paid, in effect, by Major League Soccer. So, of course, you're not going to bite the hand that feeds you. Well, that contract ended a couple years ago. So now this federation, which for a long time was only independent in theory and not in practice, is now really, truly independent and needs to take a stand. And for me, the stand is clear. You cannot let MLS Next Pro teams into this tournament. And it's time for U.S. soccer to seriously consider stripping MLS of its Division I status. You cannot be a Division I league, Herc, if you don't want to compete. And that's the bottom line with Major League Soccer. They don't want to compete. They're scared of competition. It's why they're pulling out of the Open Cup. And it's why anytime you hear about promotion relegation or anytime anybody brings up an open system, MLS folks run for the hills. They're scared of competition because they don't want to be exposed. So I think that had a lot of weight also. So public perception, public sentiment tilted against MLS sufficiently enough for then U.S. soccer in conjunction with MLS because they were clearly collaborating. Days later, I don't know if it took four days or five days or three days, but it wasn't quick. Came out with a very short statement. I should probably read it. Maybe I'll cut it here and, and read the actual statement in, in the edit of this episode. Came out with a statement saying, oh yeah, MLS had requested to have their third, you know, the third division second teams participate and we rejected that request. Like you said, they didn't say, no, your first teams must play. That's still out in the air. We'll see what happens, okay? They just simply yeah. said, we were sent a request for this other thing to happen. First off, it was never a request because clearly it was, we're not playing. <laughs> so yeah. they already said long road jail. MLS, in conjunction with U.S. soccer, because both their statements came out at the same time, essentially, MLS's statement was like, oh, yeah, you know, we're trying to f figure out a way our schedule is so congested for our first teams. Um, we think it's, you know, the U.S. Open Cup is a great development opportunity for our second team young players. They try to paint this picture like they're the good guys trying to develop players and, you know, help in that respect. Obviously, they're not going to say we're kings here and we want to cut the throat of everything that's not us. They're, obviously, they're not going to say that. What really upsets me, Joey, and I'll stop with this, what really upsets me is that the fan base cheered U.S. soccer's statement as if, as, if, as if something had been won, as if, yeah, see, uh, we showed the man or something like or yeah, see our cries for the, to save the U.S. Open Cup worked, you know, and they applauded U.S. soccer. That is what upset me more than anything because yeah. it demonstrated how brainwashed, how blind the fan base is to what's going on. We won nothing. First off, again, the Federation did not say, no, MLS, you must play, it, which is in the professional league standards, this document, right, yeah. that government. What can be division one? What can be division two? What can be division three? It clearly states in one of the bylaws that every participant in, that is divisionally sanctioned, every um, team must compete in the open cup. You just can't withdraw. So that is supposed to force every MLS team. And that doesn't mean their second team. That does not mean their third division team. 
must compete in the Open Cup. So U.S. Soccer did not say, no, you must compete. They came out with a statement, oh, okay, no, your third team count. And, but it seems like the fan base just was blind to that. Yeah, something. they forgot about it. Done. They, blind to it. Um, secondly, in a negotiation, this is like negotiation 101. If you want to maximize something, you go super high and the other party goes super low, right? And you meet somewhere in between those two things. Well, with what's transpired, what's going to happen next? Because in MLS, the statement is like, oh, we're going to keep evaluating what it is that we're going to do, basically. Well, it's, it's quite possible that U.S. soccer and MLS come to some sort of agreement that says, oh, okay, I, I don't even know what that middle ground is going to be, Joey, but some sort of agreement. And in the end of the day, MLS is going to win. Okay, so you, you've taken what the Open Cup has been and you are now diminishing it more towards what MLS wants, which is a less important U.S. Open Cup. And the fan base just bought it, Joey. I, I, need, to say, I need to say something else, Joe. Sorry. Go for it, man. No, this is good. So Don Garber, he, here's the other thing that pissed me off about the fan base. They go after Don Garber. Okay, Don Garber is the commissioner of the league, of Major League Soccer. They go after Don Garber. Oh, well, Don Garber does this and Don Garber does that and he doesn't do this and he doesn't do that. And they kind of focus in on him as it being him who is doing all of these things. He is the one who's driving a closed system. He is the one who is destroying certain USL clubs by moving into their market. He is the one who doesn't raise the salary cap. He is the one who doesn't increase the international spots or decrease them. He is the one who doesn't let the kids play. He is the one who stymies transfers overseas or inbound. He is the one who's driving uh, the open, this Open Cup fiasco. No, he's not. Don Garber is just a bureaucrat employee chartered by the true owners of this enterprise the guy that does that operates that does operations he is doing the bidding of whoever owns all of this okay he is not the owner of all of this and furthermore all the fan base is falling prey to precisely how power works at the highest levels or at any level really you people with real power want a scapegoat they want a shield they want a buffer so if anything goes wrong you point to the buffer, they're the scapegoat, they get fired, they're replaceable, and your power and business and everything remains intact. And it doesn't happen at the highest echelons. It could be any sort of employer-employee relationship. It could be a mid-level manager to a lower-level manager. It could be a low-level manager to an employee at a Starbucks. It could be anything, Joey. Everybody's looking out, how do I cover my ass? Well, one way to cover my ass is I always point my, my finger to the guy or the person right below me and they take the fall and not me. Oh, why was the coffee not hot? Well, I've been telling Linda, you know, she should, you know, always serve it, you know, within a minute of pouring it or something, you know, but Linda doesn't really do this. Lo and behold, you didn't train Linda. You know what I mean? So, yeah, so there's always, yeah. Al Garber is not the problem. Okay. The, 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 the system architecture, the owners who did this, right? That is where the ire needs to be directed at. But all that aside, Don Garber, who does the bidding of the owners, sits on the board of directors of the Federation, U.S. Soccer, which is the organization chartered to regulate the American soccer ecosystem. 
They basically make the laws for how the soccer ecosystem in the country is going to work. Sure, they can't violate U.S. law or can't violate state law, yeah, higher level laws, but they are tasked to structure and mold the soccer ecosystem. So basically, they have authority over MLS. On paper, Don Garber sits on the board of directors of U.S. soccer, and clearly it is Don Garber at the behest of the owners who is driving to try to crush and destroy a U.S. soccer property. Now, if you're on the board of directors of an organization, your duty, your fiduciary duty is to look out for the best interest of the organization that you're on the board of directors of. Well, here you have a director that is working in direct opposition to that. What the fan base should be doing, what any journalist worth anything at all should be doing is going after that. This guy should immediately be removed from the board of directors of the Federation. By the way, the Federation is supposed to be looking out for all of us, Joey, not just MLS. Yeah. You should be looking out for every, all of us down to the individual family at your club. That is their charter. And you have a director that is working in opposition to the best interests of U.S. soccer itself. He needs to be removed. Why is a, no journalist probing this? Why is no journalist even asking the question of, hey, has Don Garber violated his fiduciary duty here? I mean, I mean, at least ask the question. They haven't even asked the yeah. question, let alone dug deep. And if it was anybody else, if it was anybody else that is not MLS, they you know how many smear pieces and hit pieces and campaigns against that individual or that organization would have already transpired? Oh, they would Tons. destroy the person. They would destroy them. If it was the CEO or the head honchos of USL, for who for whatever reason, obviously they wouldn't do this because it's not in their best interest, but for whoever, for whatever reason, let's just say they wanted to pull out of US Open Cup. Maybe the Mexican Federation says, hey, all USL clubs are welcome to participate in the Mexican uh, Cup. I don't know. I'm making something up here to, for people to follow the, the hypothetical. In that case, hey, maybe USL clubs would say, oh, peace. So we're going to go compete in the Mexican one because clearly the Mexican one's bigger and it's promoted. And here you guys don't do anything. If they did something like that, you best believe every journalist here that is would be smearing the shit out of the USL owners, would be smearing the shit out of whoever in USL represents USL at US soccer. But it ain't happening, Joey. And, and it's upsetting that the fan base doesn't see any of it. No, instead, I've seen some of the journalists come out and try to talk shit about the US Open Cup and how it's not yeah, that, a good tournament. They're trying to paint the picture to the public that, you know, this isn't a good thing for American soccer. So that it's yeah, okay, no, so that everybody thinks, ah, it's okay if MLS steps out of the competition. That's what they're currently doing right now. Yeah, no, they're in, in a subtle way. Well, it's not subtle to us because we see right through it. But their audience, they have no idea. Exactly right, Joey. They are trying to smear the Open Cup in a subtle way such that it gives breathing room for MLS to do whatever its next move is going to be. And one of the ways that they're smearing it is like, Oh, why is everybody all upset about the Open Cup? You guys don't even watch it anyway. Let yeah. alone, oh, never mind the MLS was the one responsible for promoting it, marketing it, and they never did. They went, they would do the opposite. They would try to screw the Open Cup. So 
if you wanted more people to watch it, your masters, which are MLS, would have done something about that over the decades that they had control over that specific property, that asset. But they did nothing to do it. And that's not the point anyway, even if it's not watched as much. The point is that it's an open competition. It's, and it has a hundred year history for the country. It's our soccer heritage. And now all of a sudden you want to get rid of it. Yeah. So, so there's that. And they try to, I don't know. Yeah. Paint everything negatively all of a sudden. Oh, look, it's not even the prize money. Isn't that big, you know, just talking shit, shooting things here and there. It's disgusting. Joey, these people have no shame whatsoever. They no, actually don't. It's terrible. These journalists, these reporters actually don't give a fuck about soccer. They don't give a shit about you and your families. They don't give a shit about who's harmed. They don't care about whose jobs get screwed over. Nothing. All they care about is making the monopoly happy because so long as they keep the monopoly happy, the monopoly will continue giving them the microphone. That's all they care about. They don't care about the truth. They don't care about the integrity of journalism at all. All that, they wipe their ass with all of that on a daily basis. Yeah. And once again, all of this negatively affects all of us that participate yeah. in the soccer ecosystem. Even if you are at a small little youth club in who knows where in the country, you are affected by this. It affects all of us. Yes. And well, the families there are reading the horseshit from these media yeah. outlets, from these people. Yeah. The public, the public that are aware of this, and, and Gary, I was pissed off too, man, because I saw the same thing. I saw that statement came out from U.S. Soccer, and everybody was like, oh, finally, U.S. Soccer is stepping up to MLS. Great. And then it all stopped. They thought, all right, job done. We're good. And they, they became quiet. But in reality, nothing really happened. They have to continue yeah. to push and demand for more. You can't just stop because behind closed doors, when, when the public, you know, became vocal about the whole thing, MLS taking their first teams out of U.S. Open Cup, you, you, you best believe that U.S. soccer, MLS, people involved in those two entities got together and said, all right, how are, they strategized on how can we quiet the public? That ultimately, in, in my opinion, led to that statement that U.S. soccer put out. And, and they, they achieved what I think they wanted to achieve. They, they, they quieted everybody down and that was it. And so all of us that are aware of this stuff are paying attention to all this. We follow it very closely. We have to continue to push. And, and I'll be honest, myself included, I don't do it enough, to be honest with you. I don't. But if we truly want things to change, we have to keep pushing. We have to demand more. If we're going to get quiet when a, a simple statement is put out, then nothing is ever going to change. And that's just the reality. Yeah, it's really sad. I saw the writing on the wall with, and it took me a while. But I, saw, I started seeing the writing on the wall of how MLS wanted to pull out of the Open Cup and destroy the Open Cup systematically, little by little. I think it was like, I don't remember, I, did it, I posted it on X, some screenshots of my old tweets from six, seven, nine years ago. I started publicly writing, hey, MLS wants to destroy the Open Cup. Hey, it's coming. Look, they're floating little ideas out there to see how people react to it. They're doing little things here and there. 
but everybody's so far behind, Joey. It always, I've written about this too. Everybody is at least five years behind practitioners who are kind of at that cutting edge, who are working in the trenches every day at whatever level it happens to be. The things that practitioners at that cutting edge learn and recognize, it takes, in my estimation, at least five years for it to kind of trickle down to the fan base. So it's kind of like there's this lagging effect, right? That's always forever five years behind, five years behind, five years behind. So yeah, I was, I was writing about this eventuality many years ago. And right now it's happening all over again because clearly they don't see what just happened between U.S. soccer and MLS. They don't see it. It'll materialize five years from now, where in five years from now, it's basically all but done. Yeah. And, and need people those look back. Yeah, people will look back and be like, oh, yeah, okay, yeah, so this was the plan all along. Well, duh, you fucks, we've been telling you. Yeah, yeah. We need people with platforms to continue to share this kind of stuff so it gets further out. But yeah, people don't notice it or most people don't notice it until it's too late. And this is all by design. And Gary, you shared this. MLS caters to a casual audience by design because right. yeah. the casual audience is not going to pick up on these things. They're not going no to chance. analyze with skepticism what's happening in the marketplace or what MLS is doing, or if there's any collusion between MLS and U.S. soccer. They're not going to pick up on any of that. It's, it's like you said, us who operate as practitioners in the marketplace. But again, we don't always have the loudest microphones. There are more people who I think are gaining platforms or building platforms to speak from. And I think the more that they, they bring this sort of thing to the forefront, the better. But yeah, man, we, we have to continue to, to put this out and the public has to continue to push back. You have to. It's a must. Don't stop. No, it, the, pro the problem also is that they don't understand if they have kids in the youth system, they don't understand how this directly affects their kids. They think it's complete. Oh, that's, that's a problem that's way over there. Has nothing to do with me. This is our responsibility too, Joey. Yeah. To do better and educate them. And, and, and I take a lot of this responsibility myself because I know I could be doing much, much more, but I haven't been able to. It, but it does impact the kids. It 100% impacts the kids. Those of us practitioners that do see it too, that's one filter. First, you have to be a practitioner in many cases. I mean, if you are a journalist, you should be able to see this stuff. And they probably do, many of them probably do, but they don't say shit. Otherwise their access gets revoked and then they have no skills other than fucking writing about soccer. So what are they gonna do with their lives and feed their families? So they comply, even if they do see it. Many of them don't even see it, Joey. Many of them have been in this bubble, this monopoly bubble for so long that they have basically been programmed to yeah. believe in the monopoly narrative. They don't, they can't even, they're completely blind. They could be good people. And many of them are good people, good guys. You know, it's just, they're completely blind to it all because they've never been exposed for, to these other things. And yeah. so they look at, they look at folks like us that are maybe vocal about it and they perceive the vocal ones as some kind of radicals that are seeing ghosts or something um, because they're blind to it, Joey. Um, but we, we actually experience it directly. And 
even if even those of us who do see it, so that's the big fil- first big filter, seeing it. Second big filter is even those of us who do see it, it's a few minority of us who dare say things also. And it's an even smaller minority who say it hard, right? And consistently and all the time. Again, because of fear of the tyrant, that the tyrant will come down on you and it'll directly impact you and your livelihood and perhaps your loved ones, so on and so forth. So it's very, everybody likes to think that they'd be the hero in the movie. This is something that we talked about, Joe, when we met. 100%. you, You go to the movies or you turn on Netflix and you're watching it you know, with, with your family, significant other, with yourself or whatever. And everybody puts themselves in the shoes of the hero. Oh yeah. I, I'd be the hero too. You know? Oh yeah. I would do the right thing if I was placed in this tough spot, you know, and you have to, you have on the one hand, you have the right thing to do, the highly ethical, moral thing to do. On the other hand, you've got not doing that. Right. And there's a pressure that's built between the two. Right. And in the case of us, it's like, do you do the right thing and speak up and fight or do you shut up? Because if you do the right thing, there's a hammer maybe waiting to hit you on the head. So everybody thinks that they would be the hero in the movie or in historical perspectives. Oh yeah. If I were a soldier in Nazi Germany, and I saw these atrocities or whatever, I would do something to help that Jewish family, or I would do something to whatever the case may be. Everybody likes to think that they would be that person. And look, here we find ourselves in American soccer, okay, of of all things, in American (laughs) soccer, right? We're not in a war zone. We're not in some sort of I don't know, zombie apocalypse or anything where you either eat your friend or die or God knows what, or in American soccer. And you see what's going on here and you can't even be the hero here, right? Oh, how about not even trying to be the hero in American soccer? How about even just being on the right side and doing whatever little you can to support people who are trying maybe to be the hero of the movie, right? And not for ego reasons, but trying to fight the good fight. So many people can't even support those. Yeah. Most people are just quiet and let what happens happens, you know, and they don't want to be thrown into the mix at all. You can't even be an extra in the movie whose job is to be on the good side army. You can't even do that. Come on. Even, even you don't have to necessarily publicly talk about these things, but even just in your circles where you work, yeah. let's say you're a coach, you have a team, you have a group of parents, even trying to educate that group of parents, it's not easy. There are, there are pressures involved in just that. And I relate to that directly because I know they, again, going back to what the majority of voices or the louder voices are talking about. And that's what majority of people are consuming. They hear a certain message and you're trying to come in and communicate a different message. That is, that mm-hmm. is not easy. You're going to be looked at like you're nuts or a conspiracy yeah. theorist, right? So yeah. I relate to that directly because I know exactly how that is. And to be honest with you, Gary, I think maybe one of my New Year's resolutions will be to publicly talk about these things more because publicly I'm very quiet. and it's because I'll be, I'll be straightforward. It's because of the pressures that are involved. 
me working, my livelihood relies on this space that I work in, the soccer ecosystem. And, you know, I, I know that if I conduct myself a certain way, especially publicly, where I try to build a platform where my voice is bigger and reaches more people, there's definitely consequences to that. But, you know, I think like you, I'm an optimist and I see positive things that are on the horizon. We just have to be able to work through all of these challenges and communicate this message to more and more people. Yeah. And you, there's always a good way to do it. I mean, no, people don't have to be a hero and be the sacrificial yeah. lamb and be, and be the tip of the spear. You don't have to be that person. Okay. But just at, support those who are putting their necks out. You know, it yeah. could be as simple as a retweet regularly, all the time, consistently, or a like regularly, consistently, all the time, or send a post you know, or a video or a podcast to your circle, your offline circle, you know, it doesn't even have to be public. You could just say, Hey, you should check out this episode of this podcast. You should check out this post that so-and-so made. All of those things are ultra low risk, you know, but you know, they are contributions. And if the thousands, the tens of thousands or hundreds of thousands of people out there who are remaining quiet for fear of some sort of blowback or potential consequences or retribution, if those tens of thousands of people would just do that small gesture regularly and consistently, then guess what? You are taking the microphone away, not necessarily away from the monopoly, but you're also giving a microphone to the good guys by doing that. Because now you are helping sidestep the need to kiss the ass of the king, right? And, and perpetuate the narratives of the king. You're sidestepping that by not needing them anymore. Joey, you, you have the people. And I'll, yeah. and I'll end with this. This is, this is why U.S. Soccer and MLS kind of took a step back from the whole U.S. Open Cup um, declaration is because the people spoke. The people have the power. The people have the power. But they don't want you to know that you have that power. But clearly, you have the power. You spoke. You didn't even come out hard. You just came out harder than usual. Harder than usual. And look, you made the tyrant take a step back. You have the power. I think that's important right there, Gary. I think that's how we should end it, man. All of you really? out there, you have the power. Keep going, man. Tell us where people can find you, Joey. I always forget to do that. Uh, I am at, tw on well, X, at Casio underscore FG, and on Instagram, Joey underscore Casio, C-A-S-C-I-O. Brilliant. I'll put it in the show notes. Joey, thanks again. Happy New Year. We're recording this one day before New Year's celebration. And I'll see you in 2024. Let's make it the best one ever. You too, brother. Let's do it, man. Ciao, cabron. Well, that's it for today, guys. Thank you for listening. A reminder for coaches. You can get both the free and premium coaching programs at 343coaching.com. Don't let anyone tell you your teams can't win by playing dominant possession-based football while also developing individual players to the highest levels. Nonsense. We've proved it at every single level, and so have hundreds of serious member coaches across the country. Now that we've moved on to the pro level, we're delivering everything we've learned in the program. Don't wait and continue delaying getting on a proven path. And parents, 
343masterclass.com is where you want to go to get a working compass for navigating the American soccer landscape with your player. It's pretty bad out there, but let our experience guide you. Lastly, if you're coaching 7v7, we've got you covered there as well. Go to 7v7coaching.com. Until next time, cheers everyone and keep building.